Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm really excited to share that I've started a, I've created a, a new virtual summit, which is called Angel Summit, where I've organized, uh, you know, discussion and sessions with uh, some of the biggest uh, angel investors and VCs in the world, uh, with the likes of Fabrice Grinda, who's the uh, founder and partner at FJ Labs, uh, Sachit Raman, Phil Nardal, Shruti Gandhi, and others, uh, which you can have uh, access to uh, the, uh, the three-day virtual summit, which is happening from 18th to 20th of October, and the Angel Summit is split into three different modules with a broad range of expert opinions. You can learn about how to invest into startups by learning, you know, how, how to network, how to build your reputation as an agent investor. Uh, there's no need to travel, it's completely free to attend. And, you know, with over 100,000 new startups launched uh, this year, you can't afford to not to stay ahead of your competitors. Uh, so the free ticket, uh, you can get it at yeah, angelsummit.co. I'll also put that in the show links. Uh, so it's called angelsummit.co. It's going to happen on 18th and 20th of October. Really looking forward to see you guys around there. Thanks. Hi, everyone. This is Rohit from Lifestyle Vashti. And today I'm excited to have John Warner, who's a widely respected entrepreneurship expert and mentor, having founded and led three startups. John is a noted speaker at businesses, colleges, and conferences across the world. He also lectures on entrepreneurship at both undergraduate and MBA level. John is also prolific author, having published more than 40 books, all concerning business management, leadership, entrepreneurship, and innovation. Book Slam is, is a guide for gaining momentum and having the best possible chance of succeeding when starting and building a business. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you very much, Rohit. It's great to be here. Awesome. So, um, so you know, you you have a fascinating journey. You know, you uh, you've lived in three continents, and uh, you've been a five-time CEO. Uh, you know, how did the entrepreneur begin? So, um, so um, unusually, in some ways, because I started my life feeling I was very much going to be part of the corporate scene. Uh, I joined a very large American gas company, Air Products and Chemicals, early on. I then worked for the Exxon Corporation for several years, and rose to be a general manager, not very entrepreneurial environment because they were such large companies. Um, but I slowly uh, came to believe that they were too slow moving. And I went into the world of uh, management consulting and suddenly saw this world of medium and small companies. And of course, some that were trying to come into being for the very first time. And I fell in love with the small end of the, of the, uh, the target market. Got it. And, uh, you know, what, what were your, your previous companies about and, uh, you know, what, what really happened to all your startups that you uh, founded? Yeah. So uh, I've had three startups in, in, in my time. And I like to say I'm batting uh, one for three. Uh, yeah. They were in the uh, fintech space um, in one case, in the publishing space uh, in another um, and then uh, a, th a third one in the services space. Um, I had a spectacular failure. One startup I worked on for three and a half years. 
uh, in the end, we couldn't attract enough capital. We probably didn't have product market fit. And that was my, my big spectacular failure. I had one startup that we got out by the skin of our teeth. We sold the business, the, the publishing business. Um, and, you know, we did okay, but it really wasn't a big win in terms of getting uh, somewhere good. And then I had one success, which we actually raised money, uh, uh, capital from institutional investors, and sold the company um, at the end of a, a four-year period uh, and made a decent profit out of it. Um, so those experiences have shaped my thinking, and, uh, but I learned as much from the failures, perhaps more so than I did from the successes. Got it. And, uh, you know, you, you've lived in uh, uh, England, uh, you lived in Australia, and then in U.S. Uh, is, is entrepreneurship different in uh, in U.S. than in other countries? What was your experience uh, since you lived in, uh, you know, all these uh, different uh, countries for, for more than a decade? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. In and of itself, um, being an entrepreneur or a founder, um, in a startup is not different, I think, in terms of the path. But I think culturally, there are some very big differences in terms of emphasis, uh, support and help uh, from a number of sources um, in each country. Um, you know, I think uh, in England, uh, somewhat similarly to Australia, there's a good startup culture, um, but it's only partially supported. Um, whereas you find in the US, uh, there is considerable emphasis uh, on startup life uh, and a lot more uh, infrastructure. The ecosystem is stronger and certainly capital sources are very strong, uh, particularly in California, where I live, um, where we, you know, we have many, many people, both at angel level, uh, private equity and, and venture capital level that play in the startup space. And that makes it very exciting being in the US. Um, but the opportunity is available as much in, in other countries, uh, including, in, you know, in, in, including around the world. So I see startup uh, opportunities everywhere. Got it. And, uh, you know, you've been a mentor and advisor to, to a lot of startups. So I just want to understand what kind of startups do you advise and mentor uh, for? Yeah, so it's been many and various and they've been, I typically like to work with startups that are relatively early stage. So usually they are mature enough to have a minimal viable product and they've usually been in existence for a year or two, um, but they've yet to raise institutional capital. Usually they've been bootstrapping. So I like to help companies who are looking for a series A round typically. Um, it's been in many industries, but in recent times, been the most heavy concentration has been in healthcare anything that's patient facing. Um, and then within that, I particularly like uh, startups that are focused on the older adult community. Um, it's called longevity technology these days. Got it. And, and do you only advise or do you also, uh, you know, uh, help them raise funding or do you, do you also invest into these startups? Yeah, so I, yeah, so I do all three. I, I have been an angel investor and still am. Um, I serve on a number of advisory boards and I chair those boards on occasions. And I also manage the deal flow into a venture capital fund, uh, which makes investments at uh, uh, seed and uh, series A level. Got it. And um, so, you know, you, you also uh, run, uh, you know, Silver Moonshot. So, so you know, can, can you tell us what is, what is Silver Moonshot about? 
Yeah, so that organization is a virtual accelerator. So we help organizations that are focused on that older adult community that I mentioned earlier. Um, so anything that's innovative or technology focused for older adults um, is the emphasis. And we run that on a quarterly basis. So we'll run between six and eight companies in the accelerator in a six week sprint once every three months. Um, and we help them uh, de-risk what they're doing using the SLAM methodology, uh, the Startup Launch Assistance Map methodology. And um, we then do a, a pitch day at the end of it and introduce them or let, allow them to pitch to, uh, to investors. Right. So, um, so you know, you, you've written 40 uh, uh, books uh, on business and management and your recent uh, book is SLAM. Um, so, you know, what made you write SLAM and who's your, who's your target audience? Uh, so, yes, I've been writing for over 30 years uh, and I've always written in the business realm. But in the last 10 years or so, um, I started using uh, the lean methodology, the lean business um, methodology in earnest. Um, and I enjoyed that very much because it started to give people a pathway to uh, launch uh, a startup business. Um, much more rigorously. But I found there were problems in deploying the lean business model canvas uh, in particular, partly because it lacked certain steps that I thought were important. And even more importantly, because it lacked uh, a sequence, uh, something that would give people a step-by-step -step way of getting from A to B. So I started evolving the SLAM methodology as part of that. And really the book is an exploration framework um, that expands on the lean business methodology. Got it. And, and is, is it only startup founders or, uh, you know, or, you know, any, any sort of people even working in larger uh, companies can, can benefit from that? Yes. It, so it's very much aimed at individuals on that run the gamut from ideators. So individuals who've got an idea, but have yet to do anything about it. Maybe they're working in a side hustle. Maybe they're working in an early stage startup. And as you say, <clears throat> perhaps they're working in a larger company and this is an entrepreneurship journey. They're thinking of launching a new product or a new service within the aegis of a bigger entity. Uh, the methodology will work because it's a validation uh, exploration framework. So the audience is anyone thinking of starting something new for the first time, whatever size they may be at today. Got it. And, uh, you know, can, can you uh, tell the listeners, what is the eight step slam process? It's called the startup launch assistance program. Yeah. So, and maybe we'll break this up row here because it's eight steps is a lot all at once. So maybe I'll run through uh, the first four and then we'll just yeah. pause and run through the others. So yeah. first and foremost, uh, step one uh, is step identifying the unmet need. Identifying so the unmet what problem are you solving for? And that's crucial because so many startups don't spend enough time really digging in to the pain point that they're solving for. Um, and it's not solving for anyone. You're not going to be boiling the ocean for the world. You uh, really are trying to find the tribe of people that are going to be your initial target beachhead customer. So that's step one to really dig into that unmet need. Uh, that you're solving for with a tribe of people that you think have got that need more than anyone else. I'd like to say they've got their hair on fire more than any yeah. other tribe might do. 
Um, yeah. Once you've done that, you can move to step two, which is assembling the team of people that have the ability to address that pain point. So this isn't the person who sits next to you or necessarily, you know, a, a friend who lives around the corner. These are individuals who've got the ability to work on this particular pain point. Um, so uh, you, this not only includes people that you know, but people that perhaps you have to recruit to the cause, uh, both on a full-time, part-time, fractional basis, even in your advisory team. Uh, obviously, early stages, there's only so much money to go around uh, to go and recruit people, but you do want to make sure they can solve the problem that you've identified because uh, team uh, is, is extremely important at a very early stage. Um, and it's why it's step two. It's not a later step. You don't recruit the team later on. You really want to recruit as early as you can to the cause, even if there's only a couple of you doing it. And then step three is uh, really crafting a value proposition that can solve for the problem you identified at step one and the unmet need. So this is the product or service that you think you'd like to take to market and how it's going to be differentiated from everyone else that's out there. It doesn't necessarily have to be unique, but it's got to be sufficiently different um, that people will switch from the alternatives that they're currently using to solve the pain point they have. Um, so those first three steps are what in the vernacular is called the product market fit journey. Um, okay. Step one is the market. Step three is, is the product. And of course, it's the team that solves for those two. Um, you really want to establish those very strongly and take your time through as much customer discovery as you can do uh, in those first three steps. And in step four, you're going to dig into really corroborating all of those steps and particularly the unmet need and particularly the value proposition through customer discovery. And I call that the I believe box step four. Um, very, a number of startup founders will have a number of assumptions and hypotheses or beliefs about how the world operates um, that they need to corroborate with real customers in the tribe they've identified. So this is not just going around and talking to a few people it's going and talking to as many as you can get to, to really dig in uh, to their pain point and listen hard because it's on the back of that that you're going to go and build your startup ultimately. And you want to get as close to product market fit as you can in that journey. So those are the first four steps. So let me take a pause at that point and then I'll cover the next four. Today I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives Increase the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash social pilot to get a 14-day free trial. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, before you, you talk about the, the next four, do, do you think... Uh, you know, there's, there's been a talk about product market fit is important, but you also think a founder uh, market fit is also important? I do. And I think it needs to be woven into the fabric. And I call it market product fit rather than product market, because I think you need the customer need before you need the product. I see right. so many startup founders starting with market research, for example, which is important, but later. This is when you have a product and you're asking people, do they like it or do they not? Um, right. Discovery work is actually where you're not talking to them about the product you've got yet. You are purely digging into their, their needs. 
without contaminating what they say and, and offer feedback on by talking about a particular product. So, and I think that also needs to be in the founder team. The founder team needs to be well recruited and open-minded and agile um, so that they are genuinely and passionately interested in solving the problem that uh, they've identified. If that's not the case from very early stages, I think you've probably got the wrong jockey on the horse. Um, right. And as you know, Rohit, very often institutional investors will pay a huge amount of attention to the team that's going to be solving the problem. You know, do they have the initial ability and have they got uh, the capacity to sort of, you know, really uh, survive this very difficult journey uh, that is often involved in building a, a successful startup? Got it. Right. And uh, yeah, so, you know, uh, whenever you're ready, let's, let's talk about the next four steps, uh, you know, once the product market is up. Yeah. Okay, so now we've laid the foundation with those uh, first three steps and we've been really out there corroborating with customers. In step five, we're gonna size, size the market. We're gonna say, okay, how big is this market opportunity that I'm chasing? It doesn't matter what the answer is because sometimes a startup becomes a lifestyle business and maybe that's uh, what the startup founders want or a medium-sized company uh, in a local market, for example. Um, but if you really want it to scale and gain velocity and grow big, you need to make sure that the market is big enough for the problem that you've identified. So it's not just a few people, but many at scale. And you want to size that. Uh, very often the, the way to do this is through uh, the addressable market at the total level, how much you can reach uh, serviceably, and then what you can actually obtain with the capital resources you have available to you. Um, but the step of sizing is important just to make sure it's a big enough problem to uh, justify the startup coming into being. Then step six is a step, um, and often people think this should be done earlier, uh, but it's the go-to-market strategy. And go-to-market is, again, focused on your target beachhead customer group. Um, you want to identify where that group pays attention and how you're going to reach them because your job is to acquire customers uh, that are willing to, to uh, engage with you uh, through channels that work. Uh, and you can't always say, well, I can reach people through social media, for example. There are many, many other channels that are uh, worth considering. So it might be direct advertising, you might be going to trade shows, et cetera. Uh, you might be running a very sophisticated SEO strategy, um, but either way, you need to think about Will those channels reach my customers? Then in step seven, uh, uh, you are uh, thinking about monetization and the business model you're gonna deploy. This sounds like a, a, an easy step because many people think it's just a pricing step. Uh, and more often than not, they'll think, well, what does the competition do? And maybe I'll undercut that a little bit. But in practice, it's not about that at all. A business model is one that actually delivers value to the customer and that's got to be substantial value. So all customers have a cost of the pain they're enduring and there's a price they're willing to pay to overcome that pain. And what you're doing at that step is calculating that step. And then finally, in step eight, you're running, you're, you're running the system you're entering. So that's our ecosystem map has got four components on it. You're thinking about your economic buyers uh, which are not necessarily the same as your end consumers. If you think of 
parents buying for their children, for example, uh, they're the economic buyer on behalf of their children when they're buying toys. Um, you're thinking about your supply chain and people that supply you and your relationship with them. You're thinking about competition and identifying who out there is already in market, providing something similar to, uh, to you. Um, and then you're thinking about who are the influencers in the marketplace. And you are literally drawing uh, how that ecosystem works and how you will enter it uh, so that you could be successful and responsive to how it will react to your entry. So there you go. That's all eight steps on at least the slam side of this two-sided diagram. This is the validation uh, side, which has uh, eight steps within it. Got it. And, uh, you know, uh, what can, uh, you know, people can, uh, you know, really hope to learn from, from the slam book. Would they be, uh, you know, would they have to, you know, are there guidelines on how long they would need to uh, create a, you know, roadmap uh, on how to, how to build a product or, you know, what, what is the end goal of people, you know, who can get to learn from this book? So there's, there's no timelines because it depends on the startup and depends on how accessible customers are. Um, but, um, you know, typically this is going to take several weeks at a minimum, most commonly it's several months. And I have seen it take several years just to get to validation. There are many startups that are struggling uh, many, many, many years in. Um, because they haven't really found the pain point that they can solve for. So it's, it's going to take as long as it takes. What I can say positively is the framework, the exploration framework, just gives you the roadmap. The job of the startup founder is just to get in front of the right customers. And if they're not the right customers, to pivot to the ones that are likely to be uh, more enthralled or interested in the solution you have to offer. So a lot of this is about learning as you go. Um, so what I would say is people can very quickly uh, create a first person version of the, uh, the slam map in the founder team, which are really their guesses, um, you know, behind closed doors. But once they take this on the road, they really want to go and take this to as many customers as they, they can get to. And, you know, a typical rule of thumb is you want to try and get to a hundred customers uh, in the segment that you've identified. Uh, and get well beyond family and friends. Um, and you'll be amazed at what you learn. Um, and, and some of what you're going to learn may be a little different to the way you uh, thought about this or hypothesized, but that's all part of the de-risking journey. Got it. Uh, so, uh, you know, let's quickly do the top three. What's your favorite business book? So my favorite book goes back a long time. I, I like the book, The Four Phases of the Epiphany by Steve Blank. Steve right. Blank was the original founder of the Lean Startup Movement. He was a professor of entrepreneurship at Stanford. And I thought it was a wonderful book that I think for the first time has put this whole idea of listening to customers first and foremost. Um, in fact, Eric Reese's book, The Lean Startup, came very much out of Steve's work. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Steve Blank used to be the original, uh, you know, the, the startup guru. I think he's got couple of startups which which went under but uh, but a yeah, phenomenal uh, blog and, and the book mm -hmm. that uh, you know if you could go back in time when you started working on your businesses what is the one thing you would have focused on 
So I think you've got to do the work, Rohit. I think the a lot of startup uh, founders think that uh, the barrier to entry to getting a startup off the ground these days is low, and it's true, it is. But the amount of work that you have to do is much greater than you think. And I know, and I know uh, you have to be highly resilient for that journey. Um, and, be um, and be prepared to do as much research and as much talking to customers as you can uh, do in order to de-risk what you're doing. Uh, and I wish I'd have known that earlier, and perhaps I'd have been batting a little bit better than one of the three, as I said earlier. Correct. And uh, do you have any favorite online tools, example, Gmail, Slack? I, I use Slack extensively, uh, and uh, I'm on several uh, boards. They all use Slack these days, and I find it a wonderful tool for sharing, collaborating, uh, just keeping on top of things in general. We live in a wonderful world now uh, where uh, even Google Hangouts so within Slack is just pasting a link, and you can be talking to three people in a moment. In a moment. Uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, how can people buy uh, the Slam book? Uh, is it available on Amazon? It is. It's available on Amazon. It's available on the Barnes & Noble uh, online web store um, and, and in a number of bookshops. Um, there is actually a dedicated website called slamprocess.com. Uh, on that uh, website, on that there are some website, free resources, free resources including, including the Slam diagrams. Slam they're downloadable for free on that free website, on that and there are links to the book on the website itself. There are also there a couple of videos, videos on that website, including a long one that explains the, uh, the Slam validation process. Okay, and, and what are the best way people can reach out to you? So uh, my contact details are in the Slam process website, but I'm also on social media. I'm John C. Warner. John, I have no H in my name. It's J-O-N. Uh, so if you search me, you'll find me. I'm at John C. Warner on Twitter. So you can find me in a number of ways um, via those websites and via those social media links. Right, John. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. And uh, I really appreciate speaking to you. Very good. Thank you, Rohit. I very much appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.